1: Welcome in to episode four of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always the legend, Aaron Riley. How are we doing, Aaron?
0: Better than ever. Better than ever. How are you doing
1: tonight? Doing well, man. Uh, it's Friday, you know, recording Thursday night here, but dropping the show Friday morning. So by all intents and purposes, it's Friday, right, right before a nice, long Memorial Day weekend. So how bad could I possibly be?
0: This one's going to be fresh off the presses.
1: This, this is going to be a hot one coming in hot with hot takes and, and brutally honest takes at that uh i should i should backtrack though because i'm doing quite well uh we have some breaking news to start off today's show breaking news for us here at brutally honest sports listeners listen up uh you can now find us on itunes and apple podcasts hold your applause i know hold your applause um it's huge news for us uh we know a lot of people listen through apple so We want to be able to offer as many avenues as possible for you guys. Um, This news does come to you right on the heels of Spotify announcing they gave Joe Rogan um, the absolute bag to exclusively feature all of his content on their platform. Um, Apple had to make a move um, and act quickly, frankly. So, long story short, they got in contact with us, (laughs) offered us an exclusive deal as well, but we ultimately had to put our foot down for the listeners. Like I said, we can't be exclusive. We want to be found in as many places as possible. So if that means we have to bite the bullet and pump out this pod for free, uh, we're happy to do it for the listeners.
0: We're making enormous sacrifices, but at the same time, it's entirely worth it. So we'll just we'll just keep making sacrifices for you guys as long as you make sacrifices for us and just turn, tune in twice a week. You guys are incredibly loyal,
1: and the listens and views seem to go up uh, episode by episode. So... Um, we're not going to you know, put the blinders on and only focus on one platform. Uh, I will read the laundry list of platforms we are on in a minute, but um, I do want to get to this deal with Joe Rogan. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, rumored to be for $100 million American dollars, it seems Spotify is betting massively on the podcast industry as a whole, which is great news for us. Um, we just started, obviously. Fantastic time to start a podcast, to say the least. Starting a sports podcast when sports are canceled is paying
0: dividends right now, my friend. Questionable decision going in, but absolutely uh, just a winner. So far, it's trending as far as uh, being on Spotify. So we kind of, uh, we jumped right on the bandwagon and, and we're riding that bitch the whole way out.
1: Hey, when, we're, when we're at the casino, um, we, we put our chips all in. And I would expect nothing less out of the two of us um but getting back to spotify they already have the ringer and bill simmons along with their content uh they made a deal with the joe budden podcast about two years ago i believe Uh, so joe rogan is is honestly the father of podcasts the the pod father if you will and yes i wrote that joke down prior um so i wouldn't forget it great pun in my opinion but we'll keep it rolling he began podcasting back in 2009. Um, he's been grinding ever since. That's you know 11 years. I think it's well-deserved. Um, my only question to, to you is, is what the fuck is Apple doing? Are they just twiddling their thumbs watching all this play out? I feel like owning the ringer, Joe Budden, Joe Rogan now, um, they, they cornered the market here and, and owned a significant segment of content when it comes to the podcast um, industry and realm as a whole. So do you do you, um, expect a retaliation move, um, a pushback move from them to, to sort of get out to, to snuff with Spotify? Or um, is Apple doing some things behind the scenes um, that we probably can't see right now? Uh,
0: I, I definitely think Apple is always doing some things behind the scenes, uh, whether that be dirt, dirty or clean things. That's up for debate. But uh, I definitely think they're, they're doing things behind the scenes, and we'll see how it plays out. Um, In the months to come, you know, you never know what Apple might come out with um, as far as just products in general. So I I don't think that they're obviously aware of this. And I I think they'll do something to try and combat this in some way. And and they're pretty effective in their marketing campaigns. So I expect nothing but uh, but greatness from Apple. Unfortunately, I'm not the biggest Apple supporter, but uh, they do execute pretty well, it seems like. So I would expect nothing less going forward.
1: Aaron is definitely not an Apple supporter because I still have to see green texts every time we text and it's frequently since we grind on this podcast day in and day out. Um, but maybe one day I will, I will see a blue text and realize that he has come over to the good side, um, and join the Apple rocket ship here. But, I think it's interesting uh, with the Joe Rogan thing as well. He owns his IP. He owns his content. It's it's just a licensing deal. So the show is not changing whatsoever. He still owns his content. He still owns the catalog. Um, he still owns the video rights. I just think, you know, in a deal like this for that much money, you would probably think Spotify would acquire the entire thing and acquire – the Joe Rogan brand, but he's keeping it all. He's still making money from it. Um, it's just going to be featured exclusively on Spotify probably in September, October ish. Um, and they're also owning rights to his video content. So he does crazy numbers on YouTube. If you look at his YouTube videos, he does absolutely insane and wild numbers, like in the hundreds of thousands and probably secures the bag from YouTube as well. But um, I, I don't really think that Spotify's ever dabbled into the video space before. So um, I think if they can add this vertical to their toolbox, that's just another plus for them in, you know, surpassing some other platforms that are similar um, in, in their, in their industry. So I think it's interesting and, and good for Joe. Like I said, he has been it since 09. And I think it is good for the podcast industry as well, though. I mean, I, I think podcasts are huge right now and um, not to say that, that we're ever going to get there because we won't, but I just think it's, it's very interesting to say the least.
0: Hey, don't, don't sell yourself short. I think uh, this might be, taken with some criticism but I think Joe Rogan is just a slight bit overrated um, as far as uh, just I don't know I mean I think he has great guests on his show but uh, he himself doesn't very much you know his point of view doesn't impress me consistently I think he's kind of vanilla in some aspects but uh, you know hats off to him he's doing a good job as far as numbers and and obviously he's going to pull in 100 million but it'll be only a matter of time till we, uh, we close the deal at least half worth half of that.
1: I love that take. I absolutely love that. Inject that take in my veins. Um keeping get with the, same the IVs, way. get the IVs ready. Get them ready.
0: The, the IVs. Meetings.
1: The IVs are coming, my friend. Um keep with the same theme though. In addition to Apple and iTunes, our listeners can still find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, um and two more platforms called Overcast and Pocket Cast. Again, Uh, I will say this one more time. We are not liable if your technology contracts a virus and or shits the bed when listening through Breaker and Radio Public, and I feel like you can probably add Overcast and Pocket Cast to that list as well. Um, I always feel like I have to say a disclaimer because I will feel terribly if someone listens on Breaker and their iPhone just blows up in their pocket, or maybe it's a Samsung. I don't know. Um, I just always
0: feel like I have to say that. Well, you're you're the uh, you're the apples guy, and uh, you're the apple supporter. So ho- hopefully, with the with the whole idea of not getting any viruses, they'll they'll be fine. Uh, I can't say Overcast is actually you know is an excellent business name. I think that's kind of just a depressing. It puts me in a depressing mood to an extent. But uh, I'm ever grateful they picked us up, and uh, you know, hopefully they didn't drop us for me saying that. There's there's definitely a possibility that I blew my shot or or our entire podcast on their platform, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of the name. Let me just preference that.
1: Yeah, so after that honest take, you can probably drop Overcast from that list. But to be honest, when I hear the name Overcast, I automatically <laughs> want to check my weather app. So it's not really a huge loss, but uh,
0: nonetheless, Aaron, what topics can the listeners expect on today's show? Uh, definitely definitely going to get into Memorial Day weekend. Um, as far as, you know, kind of the sports influence and and, you know, what the military really means to to not only you and me, but but this entire country. Uh, I think that's obviously at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, um, even with, you know, the medical workers getting a lot of praise and, and a lot of support. We, we can't forget about the, uh, the military and the sacrifices they make, you know, on a daily basis and, and the enormous sacrifice they make for their families and, and everyone affected mm-hmm. by that. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of the XFL and, uh, and the news with that possibly being bought out by, uh, a pretty, pretty famous, uh, man in the sports industry. Uh, you know, we're not going to tease, tease the name yet just, uh, just to keep the listeners, uh, on their toes per se, but uh, that, that, uh, that, that's kind of important. Um, you know, obviously went over the Joe Rogan stuff a little bit and, uh, you know, we'll we'll just kind of mention a, a couple things about the NFL and and keep it moving. So uh, that's that's where we're looking to kick off at. Awesome, let's get after it. And now for today's topics. So as Aaron mentioned, this weekend is
1: Memorial Day weekend, and for me, I don't know about you, Aaron, but it, but it, for me at least, I would I would say Memorial Day is the official start of summer. Yes, yeah, sir. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I think I think always having that Monday off when we were in you know high school, middle school, and so on. I think. The weather always seemed to be gorgeous on Memorial Day for whatever reason. It's always a time to enjoy family, friends, and the outdoors. Uh, It's the minor league version of 4th of July, if you will. And I think this year is definitely a little different And I do think it's worth mentioning that there seems to be a shift in mentality um, across this country. I I think, I I mean, I could potentially, I could potentially have my blinders on here, but I, I I'm trying to think optimistically about how this country has been dealing with this pandemic over the last few weeks and people are sort of starting to shift and, and generally attempting to be more grateful for what they have in their life. And I certainly thought about this over the last few weeks as well, but we, we basically just wanted to take a few minutes and um, we're obviously thankful for the troops and, and what they have done, what they continue to do and what they will do for us in our country. And um, Aaron's going to touch on and go through a, you know, a few stories or two heading into the weekend that just highlight, um, you know, some of the heroes this country has had that we've had the, for- the fortune of witnessing over the last, x amount of years and and just go through a bunch of memorial day stories and um we just want to thank the troops and and also the frontline workers this year dealing with this pandemic you know i know it's a tough year for everybody involved but um you know it's it's definitely a weekend and and a lot of people have monday off but take the time and and think about the all the ways that that the troops have influenced your life and um the things that they do on on the front lines and is is always a thankless job um but we try to give thanks and we're going to try to do that today with uh with this segment.
0: Certainly, yeah, certainly. Um, I think if any if any of you would uh, run into somebody that's actively serving or, or know anybody just you know a simple thank you for serving isn't the hardest thing to do in the world. Um, you know I think our generation in particular not to not to bash on our own people but uh, it's often overlooked and I think it's often taken for granted. Uh, I think just living in the digital age it's uh, a lot of people don't understand the sacrifice that, that these people go through and, and I'm, I'm, I might be guilty of it too I, I usually make a social media post on, on a holiday such as Memorial Day or July 4th but uh, I just don't think that's as personable as telling somebody you know face to face you know just thanks for your service and, and just show appreciation because uh, you know I'll never understand this all the sacrifices they've made, and and I'm extremely grateful that they do uh, so I can live a a better life and and live free in this country. So uh, just to touch on, you know, a former NFL player, some of the listeners might have heard the name before, uh, uh, a a guy named Pat Tillman, uh, former Arizona Cardinal. Um, Basically, he turned down millions of dollars. He was proposed a, a contract extension with the team. Um, to become to, to enlist in the U.S Army, where he had uh, he turned into a, a U.S Army ranger, um, Unfortunately, just a couple of years into serving in, in the U.S Army, he was killed in Afghanistan. Uh, Pat Tillman basically expressed that uh, his role in life um, as a whole wasn 't fulfilled uh, morally. Because he felt like he had not done enough uh just basically for the people of his country and and by playing in the n f l it was almost a little bit selfish as far as uh just not providing enough uh, from a from a personal standpoint so like I said, he enlisted in the army um unfortunately killed actually killed by his own uh, group of of troops uh sorry, i'm sure that i'm I'm butchering that there's there's a much better way to say it, but basically it was a friendly fire. The real unfortunate thing was. Uh, he basically was screaming at them, I'm Pat, and then expletive Tillman. I think we can pretty much guess that one. And uh, they were shooting. They they thought the enemy had come around the corner, and he was killed in the province of Coast, which is located on Afghan's east border. Um, you know, it's extremely unfortunate, uh, but extremely grateful that uh, there's people like that in this world to, to, to make a sacrifice like that when... Basically, he was living out his uh, his childhood dream, at least to, to play in the NFL is, uh, you know, something to be commended for. And it's I think it's extremely, extremely just devastating because it was his own it was his own people and his own it was U.S. troops that ended up you know claiming his life. But right. I,
1: I yeah, I think it's is. Definitely not an easy topic to discuss. And yeah, I think the, the media does a great job in, in every year, every Memorial day, every veterans day, you know, so on and so forth, giving thanks and highlighting and showcasing and, and featuring all the great things that our troops, like I said, have done, continue to do and will do whether they're still serving or they're just, you know, day-to-day civilians like us. Um I, I think veterans and, and, heroes we've lost in the line of duty. Um, We definitely don't mention it as often as we should. And I think Memorial Day is is a weekend to do that. So whether it be through this podcast or just taking a moment now to think about, as you're listening to to think about all the heroes that have lost their lives, whether you do it with your family or friends, or, or maybe you've lost loved ones in, in the line of duty, you know, and that can be any line of duty, uh, obviously just, just take a moment this weekend, you know, while you do get Monday off and it, it will be a long weekend for the majority of you, just take a few minutes and sort of think about, um, you know, where you would be if we didn't have these heroes in our lives. And, and I've definitely been guilty of it as well. And I take these holidays for granted and, and look at them as just a holiday and nothing more. And, and don't take that at face value. So, um, I'm going to try to take a few minutes this weekend and, and Aaron and I continue to do the same. And that Pat Tillman story will live on forever. Um, if you think about it, it was you know absolutely insane for um, one of the world's best athletes playing in the world's best football league in the NFL uh, to leave a multi-million dollar paycheck um, to go serve on the front lines after 9-11. Um, and what he did, um, like I said, should should live on forever and be told for generations and generations to come. Um, and, and you know, it's definitely not an easy topic to discuss, as I said. So, uh, but hopefully, you take a few minutes this this weekend and next week to just just think about um, all the great things our heroes like Pat Tillman have done for us and our society.
0: Of course, yeah, I, th- I think that that's great. You touched on the fact that it, it was following 9/11. Uh, I think that definitely had. Significant influence on him wanting to join, and then him wanting to enlist. Uh, you know, to fight for this country. Obviously, a absolutely devastating moment in this country's history that will never be forgotten, and and those people themselves will never be forgotten, as thousands of innocent lives were taken uh, due to extremely evil, um, you know, actions and beliefs that day. So, um, yeah. With that, with that being said, um, you know, I'm forever grateful for everybody that serves, and I think throughout this pandemic, uh, at least in this country, it's it's helping to ignite, uh, reunite people a little bit. Uh, it seems like uh, this country, you know, thrives when, when our back's against the wall and when we get our ass kicked to the dirt. But unfortunately, uh, still going through the pandemic, but um, hopefully this just gives us a, a little bit of breathing room. And, uh, you know, people are extremely grateful, but we get a chance to mm-hmm. kind of forget about everything negative going on in the world. And, and we can just, you know, sit back, relax, crack open a cold one, and and just be grateful for everything that we do still have, and and the freedoms we have in this country, specifically. That's very, that's very well said.
1: Uh, I, I echo everything you touched on there, and and you know, we don't we don't mean to bring you a heavy topic. Obviously, we want you to listen to this podcast to have a brain break, have a mental vacation, and just get away from, from day-to-day life. And I think for us, recording this podcast helps us do that as well. It's sort of an escape. It's a release for us um, from, from life's daily BS. But um, definitely something important to touch on. And uh, we'll, we'll move on here to, to some lighter topics. But uh, I think that was very well said, Aaron. And um, we, we just hope that you all take a minute to think about our veterans and our troops and the ones we've lost in, in the line of duty. Uh, transitioning here to to the last dance, obviously we touched on episodes one and two um, of our our show earlier this week. The last dance as a reminder is a documentary by ESPN, a 10 part series detailing Michael Jordan's life on and off the court. Um, They're done airing now on on TV. So you can find them on ESPN.com. I believe they have uh, the full episodes without commercial. So presented to you without commercial Um, easy way to get caught up during this quarantine time, since you're probably not doing much else. So, I definitely recommend to take a, take a watch, take a listen, however you want to intake that content. Um, it's a great documentary, um, you know, from a great NBA player. Um, so getting into episodes three and four here, um, I think the big theme we need to talk about today, Aaron, is Dennis Rodman. Um, in episode three here, they really take a deep dive into who Dennis Rodman was on and off the court. Um, and honestly, I think they did a fantastic job. Um, we're not going to go into his entire backstory, but, I did want to mention the Las Vegas story, the infamous legendary Las Vegas story. So if you're not familiar with the story, it's incredible. It's funny. It's quite hard to believe at the same time um, that a multi NBA champion would, would do this in the middle of a season. Um, But we're talking about Dennis Rodman here. So is it really that hard to believe? Probably not Uh, getting into it here. The bulls are, are right in the middle, right in the thick of their 1997 98 regular season. Uh, They did not know it at the time, but they are well on their way to winning a sixth title as a team. Up to this point in the season, uh, they had sort of been underachieving to a certain extent and had been relying a ton on role players Uh, because, if you remember, Scottie Pippen was still recovering from an injury um, and also sort of requesting a trade at the same time. It was sort of a weird time in Scottie Pippen's career. We mentioned last week that his contract situation was atrocious. He was on the last year of that seven-year $18.5 million deal, um, so he basically chose to get surgery on an injury um, when the season started, instead of, um, you know, right when the offseason began, which is kind of funny. But it's it, you know it takes you back to the old Shaquille O'Neal line by you know getting injured on company time, healing on company time, and um, I think Scotty did just that. Took advantage of, of company time here, and I think rightfully so. He was basically fed up with his contract that Jerry and, and Jerry Krause and, and Jerry Reinsworth wouldn't give him an extension. Um, or wouldn't pay him more, wouldn't restructure. So basically, taking the time and, and, and consequently, as a result of, of his time off, um, one of the role players the Bulls had to rely on was, of course, Dennis Rodman. Um, up to this point, he hadn't been used to this type of usage. He wasn't used to being the number two guy in the team. Um, that had always been Scotty's role. So when Pippen was out, Dennis was that guy, and, and MJ's basically Robin to his Batman. Um, so when Scotty eventually came back to the lineup, um, he was healthy. He was healthy and had solved his issues with the front office, so everyone seemed to be happy for the first time that season. Um, but due to all of his hard work, Dennis felt he needed a vacation, so he decides to go to Phil and go to Michael to ask if he can have some time off, which is actually hilarious and, 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 and in my opinion, probably the beginning of the the modern day load management, what the, what they call it in today's
0: um, NBA. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was actually thinking about that. Um, with the Spurs. I know that created a huge controversy when they started resting uh, Tony Parker, uh, Manu Ginobili, and then Tim Duncan, obviously, as they were aging. But, um, you know, I don't think I, as a fan, I mean, that, that's a controversial topic where you know, hey, if, if you're a Philadelphia Sixers fan, but you, you're paying to go see the Spurs, you, you kind of want to see Ginobili, you kind of want to see Parker, and, and obviously Tim Duncan, all, all three going to be Hall of Famers. So um, I don't personally have a problem with it. I think you got to do what you got to do to win. Like Al Davis said, the the late great uh, Oakland Raiders owner, he said, "Just win, baby. Just win." So uh, that that's definitely my mindset on the whole situation. Um, I'm I was always kind of like, you know, load management is not a problem. I think I think Kawhi Leonard was uh, the worst example of that, where I don't think his injury was as serious as it as he claimed it to be, but, um, you know, that's a different topic for a different day. I, I'm still a big quiet Leonard fan, but um, yeah, load, load management is getting more and more prevalent. I think obviously there, there's nights where LeBron takes off, you, you know, he's kind of earned that right at, at 38, 39 years old. So, um, you know, load management plays a key part and come playoff game play, excuse me, call, come playoff time. Um, you know, you need fresh legs and you need as much stamina as you can get. So, uh, I see no issue with it.
1: I love the Kawhi Leonard slander. I love it, absolutely. Um, getting, getting back into the story here, um, I think if anybody had, had asked the coach and their best player, right. think he didn't dare to go off, I don't think they would have batted an eye. But we're talking about Dennis Rodman. So he needed, he needed a brain break. He needed a breather. Um, you know, we're talking about Dennis. So so Michael and Phil say, well, Dennis, wh- where do you want to go on your vacation? um Dennis obviously says he wanted to go to Vegas of course uh, Michael Jordan kind of recounts his exchange during the documentary and he's basically begging Phil to not let Dennis Rodman go to Vegas because in his mind if they had let Dennis go to Vegas uh he wouldn't be coming back so Phil ultimately ultimately lets him go um he lets him go under one condition that Dennis has to be back with the team in 48 hours um so Dennis says he's cool with that heads out of the facility off to a charter flight and off to Vegas I think it's it's interesting that that Phil Jackson uh, had this sort of relationship with with Dennis. That he was definitely the ultimate players' coach, and he he knew his players probably than probably better than any coach has ever known their team. And he had he did up the Lakers as well um, when he had Kobe and Shaq. He always knew which buttons to press. He always knew how to get the get the most out of his players. And I think this is just another example of that. And, and for a long time, I think Dennis Rodman was misunderstood, um, and he was taken for probably a lunatic or, or a player who is crazy or an outlandish player who's not serious about basketball. But at the end of the day, I think him taking this, this day or two off definitely made him better for the long term and probably reset his focus back on the task at hand, which is winning championship. Yeah.
0: yeah, certainly. I, I think, uh, I think Dennis Rodman, uh, ultimately kind of doesn't get as much credit maybe as he deserves. Um, you know, one of the best defenders to ever live, that's for sure. One of the best defenders to ever lace up the, lace up the basketball shoes. But uh, as far as uh, from that perspective, I, I at least had to slam Phil Jackson just slightly because when he came to the New York Knicks, I was absolutely ecstatic that he was going to be the, the general manager. And that so was everybody in, else. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of ignited a fire in, in New York and, and in Madison Square Garden that wasn't there for, for a little bit. but absolute flop as a GM uh, I was hoping he'd go down to the floor at one point and coach the team maybe run the, the triangle you know maybe maybe try and recruit Kobe over from the west coast that's some you never know but uh, yeah didn't didn't pan out but as a coach yeah he uh, he definitely formed a good relationship with uh, people that seem to uh, have you know potential character issues but uh, Phil Phil exactly he, he pushed all the right buttons and I think he got the most out of Dennis Rodman where if he was playing for a different coach during that era, it might not have panned out and, and he might've became more so a distraction than, uh, than obviously a key piece to, to a title run.
1: People don't talk <laughs> about, people don't talk about how bad Phil Jackson was as a GM of the Knicks enough in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think it's, he's overshadowed by, uh, obviously his coaching career where Michael Jordan's kind of in the same boat, uh, being the general manager down there in, in Charlotte, he's, uh, you know, had, had a hell of a hard time putting a winning product on the court. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, Phil, Phil, you you definitely owe me one personally. Definitely felt like you, you sold yourself short and, and you didn't bring the effort to the table every day. I can't say that you, you know, excelled really in any type of capacity under the New York Knicks. But uh, like I said, you know, hats off to, to Dennis Rodman more so than, than Phil Jackson. I think Dennis Rodman needed that break and, and obviously – you know maybe the strippers were the ones to to relieve the stress for Dennis Rodman I you know I wasn't there I can't say but definitely an interesting situation I mean to give him 48 hours that's not a whole whole lot of time but I guess you get done what you can get done if you're if you're Rodman
1: I think 48 hours is plenty and yeah. a, a camera or two actually followed Dennis to Vegas they were filming that entire 98 season obviously and I think a camera or two from that crew uh followed him down there so we got a glimpse um some of the things he was up to. But I think I would have been completely fine if episode three and four was basically just a camera on Rodman in Vegas the entire time. I mean, that would have basically been appointment television at that point. um, But nonetheless, 48 hours come and go. Uh, Dennis is obviously still nowhere to be found around Chicago, around the practice arena, around the state of Illinois in general, uh, just as Michael had originally predicted. So MJ wasn't shocked whatsoever. Um, He takes it upon himself, though, to go get Rodman uh, in Vegas. He takes it upon himself to go to Vegas to go get Dennis back. Um, I can't imagine that with his gambling background and everything that was rumored on the gambling side of his life that it was a smart decision for MJ to go retrieve Dennis from Vegas, but uh, to each their own, I guess. And then Carmen Electra actually makes a uh, surprise um, appearance on this documentary, and I guess she was dating Dennis Rodman at the time, so she basically goes to the that MJ knocks on the door uh, she had to hide behind the couch um, while MJ pretty much uh, drags Dennis out of his hotel room for them to go back to Chicago. So um, just basically want to touch on that story. I think it's an all-time story. Um, I'm kind of pissed I'd never heard about it until now, but um, it was honestly hilarious to get footage of that and, and just get multiple accounts of, of Dennis's antics. And um, I think he was definitely one of the most polarizing figures in the NBA and um, just one of the most polarizing figures in society. I think, you know, all the stuff with going over to North Korea and, you know, talking to Kim Jong-un and all that stuff, I just think he's, like, a crazy misunderstood person who, like, might be somewhat smart, but, like, no one sees it. So uh, I, I think the entire story was hilarious and um, honestly insane that they let him go to Vegas, but teach their own.
0: Would you uh, would you draw any comparisons between Ron Artest or Meta World Peace to... Dennis Rodman, whatsoever. or Do you think that's that's not really they don't really line up? I think Ron Artest
1: tried to be Dennis Rodman.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely think he was uh, he was trying to be as outlandish. Where I, you know, I don't think he really made as big of an impact, at least on the court, as, as Dennis Rodman did in in his prime. But uh, both two guys, I would definitely maybe catch a beer with, you know, catch a game, watch a beer, drink a beer down, and then chill. They're they're definitely outlandish, and and the fact that he went uh, and talked to Kim Jong Il is just uh, obviously questionable to say the least. But you know, good for him, I guess. I don't know. Hopefully, that was a good thing that he did that, but questionable.
1: I think our test was you know decent on the Pacers, like during the whole Malice of the Palace era. I just think he was an absolute like idiot. Uh, and, and I think it's like, like Exhibit A, like when he walked into the locker room after the Malice of the Palace after that game, he asked his teammate if he was going to get in trouble for that. After punching a fan with a, with a shoe and just <laughs> going apeshit on fans in the stands, he asked if he was going to get in trouble. And I just think that's like exhibit A, honestly, of how much we
0: run our test was. I think, hey, maybe he was just concerned about getting a suspension. Maybe he just wanted to be back the next day to play with his team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, and that wasn't the best look. But uh, if you have not seen that footage, it's uh, – it's one for the books. If if you ever get to see the the malice at the palace, that that was, that's special. That's in the that's in the archives forever.
1: Yeah, hide your kids for that one.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> Transitioning here into some football talk, we'll get into the XFL a little bit as they have jumped back into the news this week. As the listeners probably know, the XFL and Vince McMahon uh, from the WWE made a long-awaited return to the world of football earlier this spring. Uh unfortunately the coronavirus forced them to shut down their operations and eventually file for bankruptcy. I thought it was a shame because, you know, you know, first of all, you never like to see hundreds of talented, hardworking people lose their jobs, especially in the midst of a pandemic. But I gotta be honest, I never watched a single second of the XFL season. And I don't know if you did either, but I never tuned into the actual broadcasts themselves. But I you mean know, I caught a bunch of clips on social media and I think from a digital, a digital perspective and a social media perspective—they absolutely killed it. And the NFL should honestly incorporate some of their social media strategy. Uh, I just never watched a single second of an XFL broadcast the entire time they
0: were on TV. I think the, uh, it was almost like the team names were were where they lost me. I mean, some of these team names were absolutely atrocious. It just sounded like it was almost like a high schooler, like maybe a high school aged you know, a person came up with the team names and it, it just was corny to me. I think the mascots were, were corny. It, as far as, uh, you know, the play on the field, it wasn't too bad. I, I would catch it at the gym, you know, periodically. It's not like I I would definitely not cancel any dinner date plans or anything like that. I would never go out of my way to to, to try and, you know, hey guys, you know, I can't make it tonight. The XFL is on. That, that never once took place, but um, yeah, I, I think it was interesting. You know, the kickoff strategy was a little bit interesting, um, but a lot. I think a lot of a lot of players were were inadequate as far as skill level. I mean, oh yeah. If you have a uh, your your boy, this is actually you know him quite well. But uh, Christian Hackenberg was. Uh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna
1: imagine him, but go go off, King. Keep going. Yeah, now
0: he. Uh, he may, maybe maybe a poor man's Derek Carr. May, I mean, that's just uh, that's a hot take, but. Uh, Derek
1: Carr is a poor man. It's Christian Hackenberg. Whoa. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give you that. All right. So, so, so since we've transitioned to the Derek Carr talk, we'll <laughs> pause in the XFL quick here. Aaron, Aaron and I were talking off air. We, we think we need to incorporate a sound bite every time we mention Derek Carr's name. So um, I think at the end of this little Derek Carr segment, you're going to ultimately hear the the soundbite we've picked. We have a few, um in our bullpen in our queue here a few we're deliberating on but I think you know the listeners want it we want it I I just think you know to up the production further here on the brutally honest sports podcast we need to get a sound bite for Derek Carr and make this thing official
0: yeah nothing nothing too hurtful but uh you know obviously every time we take a shot at Derek Carr it's a zinger and and it's it's definitely a hot take so
1: Maybe maybe a little tease here. Maybe it'll be from Stephen A. Smith. I don't know. That might be a little tease. I I heard rumors that he was a front runner, but uh, tune it tune in to the end of this segment, and you will hear the soundbite right here.
0: Man was a bona fide scrub. He's uh he's definitely pushing to be on the show, and it's almost getting a, a little bit annoying at this point. Where it's it's about ten to twelve texts a day. Or am I gonna make it onto the next show? And you know, I I kind of have to reply to him. You know, at at my discretion. You know. I got a lot going on and, and for Stephen A. Smith to be blowing up my phone. It's not the worst thing in the world, but at the same time it, it's it's a little bit annoying and, and you know, he needs to understand we got bigger and better things going on than than maybe himself. So
1: I'm only taking Stephen A on the show if we can get Skip as well. It's a package deal for me.
0: That uh I that one I don't think the listeners are gonna get that one for free. I, that's that's gonna be debated. That's something we talked about off air, but Skip Bayless and his entourage, I mean we're gonna we're going to have to rent out basically a, a hotel suite or, a, you know, a conference room because Skip Skip's going to bring the boys. He's going to bring little Wayne. Uh, obviously, that's that's his boy. You know, maybe Terrell Owens makes an appearance and really stirs the pot and, and fists start getting thrown. But we'll, we'll wait and see on that one.
1: Yeah, you can find that pod on Aaron's OnlyFans account.
0: Or you can
1: find it on Overcast. Maybe we'll throw it on just Overcast since – Uh, It's not going to get any listeners on there either, since I don't even think that is an actual platform, but that (laughs) remains to be seen. Um, Back to the XFL here. Uh, Despite shutting down, um, it was rumored this week that Vince McMahon is trying to ride out this pandemic, basically get out of paying his employees and operating costs during this pandemic, during this crisis and then eventually buy the league out of bankruptcy. So uh, that would be an absolute alpha move. That would be some savage shit, in my opinion. Um, I think he honestly fucked over a lot of people when he closed down. I thought, um, you know, from what we were hearing and what a lot of people were saying, they were eventually going to be able to survive this pandemic um, and and hopefully get back to some games here in the summer. But I think it would have been great, too. I think they could have probably been one of the first sports, you know, they're willing to try anything. Um, They're willing to throw anything at the wall and and see if it sticks. So I think it's honestly a shame that they closed down and, and it's kind of scummy that he's doing this, but in, in the long run, if he saves money and is ultimately able to bring back the XFL under better circumstances and, and better terms, like all the power too, in my opinion. All right. So Aaron, let me, let me ask you this. Um, we saw the AAF last year. We saw the XFL this year, try and fail to go up against the NFL and ultimately try spring football. Um, even with uh, a guy's riches, Vince McMahon, um, do you think a league like the XFL, a league like the AAF can eventually sustain success and build a revenue model that sustains their business for beyond just one season?
0: I think, uh, yeah, you know, definitely a a well-asked question. Um, I don't think they can withstand, you know, maybe decades. Uh, You might see like a 10-year run uh, of these leagues, you know, potentially take off and, and have success. Um, you know, when you're going up, a, up a, against a giant such as the NFL, I mean, that's, uh, that's quite a big task at hand. I don't know if, if as far as popularity, they might be able to squeeze, you know, 10, maybe 10% max, I would say from, from the NFL, uh, right. to, to consistent viewership year after year, you know, annually. But in my opinion, I don't, I don't think I see them lasting more than 10 years. I mean, Vince McMahon might might have the secret sauce and the secret formula, but, you know, it, it's something where I just don't feel like you can go up against the NFL and, and really even compete. You know, hopeful, I wouldn't mind seeing, it. you know, another league just for more sports on TV, but right. like I said, I tried to tune into it last year, and I just think the differences are, are too significant, and it's, like I said, the team names, I just think it could be done a little bit better and, and better executed, but, um, you know, I hope for the players' sake, they, they continue to have a league where these guys get a chance at least because you don't really see a minor league version of football. You kind of see that with, uh, you sure. know, arena, arena football to an extent, but how big is arena football in, in reality? So, um, you know, with baseball, obviously you got the minor leagues and then you got the, the D League or or I think they even call it the G League now. I'm not sure in the NBA. No one really pays attention to it, but yeah. NFL doesn't really have a, a little brother, so – if, if the XFL can can continue to roll on, I I don't have a problem with it, but you won't see me uh, tuning in anytime soon unless significant things are changed.
1: No, it's, it's funny you mentioned the minor league system. It was something I was planning on bringing up as well. I, I think the AAF tried to do that too, where, you know, it, it almost needs to be a model where maybe the NFL takes the practice squad players from NFL teams or takes like five or six of, of the bottom tier of that practice squad and, and has those guys on their roster and, and, Let's say the New York team, you know, plays with a few Giants and Jets reserves that aren't going to get on the field. Or they're not in the 53 and maybe the NFL expands their roster from 53 to like 65 and then um, has those bottom 12 players develop and actually see game action and, and play in the XFL. And I almost think that would be that would put a better quality product on the field. I, frankly, I just think that the, the quality of players in the XFL is, is like downright brutal to be brutally honest. Um, I mean, when, when Christian Hackenberg is your starting quarterback throwing two picks in the first, like, five minutes of the first game, I think you have to change up your business model and, and probably recruit some better players. I, I almost think a team like Alabama could probably go in and the an Club championship just because the players are, are that bad. Um, and, I, and I know they're, they're doing the best they can, and um, obviously you can't compete with – you know, when you have 53 guys on – 32 NFL teams, obviously the guys that you have to pick off the scrap, people aren't going to be as good. I'm just thinking it almost would only work with, with like you said, sort of the minor league system where they can develop. Um, maybe they're on practice squads and they're on loan, essentially, to, to the XFL. Maybe how European soccer does it with their loaning system. And, you know, ultimately if the NFL is looking to expand to maybe 34 teams, maybe um, they look to pick up an XFL team or two. I don't think they're looking to do that. I think right now with, with 16 teams in each conference, it's a good setup. And um, the NHL has 31. They're looking to go to 32 as well. I think that's a good system to have. So, uh, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen how it's going to go over. It, it's kind of unfortunate this, this whole pandemic um, hit. I think they were starting to gain some traction in markets like Seattle and St. Louis. And um, those those um, outlets are starting to sell out their stadiums for these games. And D.C. was doing pretty well, uh, I think, too. So, well, you know we'll see what what Vince wants to do. he obviously you know took it to bankruptcy and if he ends up buying out buying the league out of, of bankruptcy again, I think he'll probably try to make it a legitimate thing and um I just think with a guy like Vince McMahon backing this league, he probably doesn't have the greatest relationship with the NFL so maybe that you know minor league system ultimately doesn't come to fruition, but um personally, I think that's the only way'll it'll, it'll work out in the end,
0: yeah. Yeah, I agreed with that. Um, do you think if they would pick up, like, a, let's say a, a name such as Johnny Manziel, that would, uh you know, maybe uh, gain them even more traction coming back from all this? Because I think they're going to have to rally, you know, in, in some type of way, um, especially if they have no fans in the stadium. And then the teams themselves aren't, you know, obviously the, these fan bases in the NFL, it's really hard to compete with. So you got like the yeah. Oakland Raiders for example, Philadelphia Eagles fan base, you got I I would say even both New York teams have, have a pretty diehard fan base. Obviously the Cowboys have a huge following. Yeah. San Francisco, I mean you can go you can go down the list. I mean even even Cleveland Browns you know there's significant amount of games where they sell out their stadium like these these NFL teams are definitely taking them far more seriously which they should be um you know this, this league's been around you know over 100 years now so uh you know from that perspective I think they're going to have to at least go out and pick up a name such as you know give Johnny Manziel a shot give yeah. give somebody such as uh you know just somebody that maybe even Cam Newton if he doesn't uh get picked up by the NFL which I would kind of be shocked about but
1: Cam Newton in the XFL would be – I mean, I would tune in, to say the least. I, you know, I think – you mentioned the Arena Football League and there's the CFL, obviously. Um, you know, once you take out the NFL, the Arena Football League, and the CFL, what what is left for, for these guys for, besides a guy like Christian Hackenberg and, and a guy like Cardell Jones? It's just unfortunate for, for the lack of names, and I think they can really find their niche in, in that sort of, you know, post-February, post-Super Bowl – schedule um and and it could almost be sort of like uh, a fall league for baseball or like a like a development league and and ultimately lead right into nfl training camps and and maybe they sort of do a combine for xfl players after each year uh to showcase their skills in front of nfl scouts because the ultimate goal is to obviously get back into the nfl and get that contract get those benefits um you know, and ultimately make a career at a football, you know, outside the XFL. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see, I don't think we'll probably see, you know, much news out of this until after the NFL season, maybe during the NFL season, at least not anytime soon, for as long as this pandemic rages on, but um, just, just a, a nugget there that sort of through the grapevine and slipped through the media channels that we figured we'd touch on. And anytime Vince McMahon's in the news, um, you know, it's always a headliner. So.
0: Let me uh let me ask you this: If uh if Christian Hackenberg would come back to the New York Jets, does that make them a Super Bowl contender?
1: Next question.
0: Oh, look at. No,
1: no, uh, no! I think it. Uh, I think if they got Christian Hackenberg, they would probably have to be relegated to the XFL. <laughs> I think. I think they should have. They should have been relegated to the XFL as soon as they drafted him. I, I this, this is a hot take. Top five one of the, one of the worst draft picks in the
0: history of the NFL. Wow. I mean, I, I don't think they really – do you think they had a set in place to uh, for him to start? I mean, even at Penn State, he struggled a, a good bit. And, and he was kind of like the guy that, that thought he was the man, but never really, uh, you know, proved that he was the man. He He's kind of the guy that, you know, he walks around at the gym, like, you know, walking around, not really lifting much, just kind of looking at himself in the mirror for about 45 minutes, and then he kind of goes home. You know that, that's the way I look at Christian. You know, it, it's it pains me to say that because I don't really like talking bad about any former Nittany Lions, but an absolute dumpster fire, an absolute dumpster fire at times. For uh, even in in the Big Ten conference, he was, he's, uh, you know, if he got knocked down, it looked like he he just was uh, scared to death to to get back up at some points. I mean, he,
1: he was decent his freshman year and then got significantly worse every year after that. The only reason the Jets picked him is because they went to Happy Valley for some fucking reason and watched him work out in shorts. And apparently he was throwing the football well, had at, at decent arm strength, probably looked like an absolute idiot with his dumb rosy cheeks and like blackhead face that he has. But <laughs> apparently he looks good in shorts. Apparently he looks good in a workout and, they decided to take him in, in the second round when I, I think a lot of teams wouldn't even have taken him in the seventh round. Um, they had already had Bryce Petty. They already had Geno Smith. They already had Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they carried four quarterbacks that year. And he saw absolutely no time besides just sticking around with the practice squad guys. Um, he, I mean, he couldn't even hit the broad side of a barn. He couldn't even hit um, the ocean if he was on a boat in the middle of the Pacific. So, so I don't know why they picked him. Um Ultimately, when they picked Sam Darnold, they cut him, which was a smart decision. And ultimately, probably why Mike McKagan was fired. Obviously, he wasn't a great drafter, but I just think that pick was so inexcusable that, you know, you can't really survive as a regime um, if you think that guy could have been an NFL starter. I just I – just, to this day, you know, it was four years ago. I
0: just – to this day <laughs> – they pick Christian Hackenberg in the second round let me let me ask you one more thing and then we can we can definitely move on from this it definitely sounds like a topic you've lost some sleep over um a lot but of sleep. if you uh if you had to win one game you have you have one game and you and you got to pull out a w do you you take Josh McCown at 40 years old so the playoff the Eagles version of Josh McCown last yeah. year or do you take Christian Hackenberg? that that's uh that's what I want to know
1: I'll take a 40-year-old Josh McCown with two pulled hamstrings over Christian Hackenberg any
0: day of the week and twice on Sundays. Wow. I mean, if you uh, if anybody caught that game last year, it was almost like he had cinder blocks for, for feet. I mean, that, <laughs> it was like he was in quicksand. Or I don't, I couldn't really understand it. I was watching it, and it was like every time he dropped back, he got slower somehow. And, and I'm sure age played a factor. But, uh, yeah, Josh McCown, man, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the Phillies – a lot of the Eagles fans were giving him credit for sticking in there, and, and I was absolutely appalled by that. I was absolutely <laughs> disappointed. I, I thought we should have, you know, throw as, throw as many cold beers on that guy's face as possible as he's running into the locker room. That guy absolutely blew it, and and hopefully he's, you know, if he's a coordinator or something like that, that, that might be where he belongs, but uh, an absolute dumpster fire, and, and especially having three quarters to play with and, and only really coming up with field goals is is very disappointing, but but we can certainly move on. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, at the end of at the end of the day,
1: Josh McCown played better in that game than Carson Wentz did, um, just because Judavveon Clowney sat on him. Uh, Carson Wentz had to take himself out of the game. Um, gut, gutless, to say the least, for a guy who's probably going to make I don't know was what, what he making 30 million a year this year. Um, I think that leads us right into right into Jalen Hurts. We got a little clip to play for you, and then we'll dive into this uh, Jalen Hurts discussion. Um, but we'll play a clip for you here first.
0: I'd say Jalen Hurts on the field quite a bit for the Eagles this season. Doug Peterson said they are exploring getting the rookie QB involved in the offense. It could be in a similar way Lamar Jackson was used in Baltimore before becoming the starter. The Ravens offensive coordinator that season was Marty Mornenweg, who is now a consultant for Philly, and according to Peterson, Morning White feels very similar to Jalen as he did Lamar. Okay,
1: so, so I'm not one to overreact to news or soundbites or clickbait like this, um, since I think a lot of times they can get blown away out of proportion. Back when some of the members of the media were saying the Ravens were going to turn things over to Lamar over Joe Flacco, I didn't believe it at all. I didn't believe it for a second. And, you know, obviously I was clearly wrong. A lot of people in the media, a lot of people around the NFL were so wrong. Um, So, for me, in this situation, I I sort of have to take it at face value. I think if there's a little bit of smoke here, there's got to be some fire nearby. Um, I mean, these comments, Aaron, must have hit you like a ton of bricks, or am I just reading too much into this?
0: Yeah, certainly. So, you know, Marty Warningwig, uh, former Eagles offensive coordinator, and then went to the Ravens, kind of initiated the uh, Lamar Jackson draft pick. Uh, you know which came at as a surprise that he dra- he uh actually fell that far in, in that draft um I was actually on the same the same mindset as you uh i wasn't really a lamar Jackson supporter as far as uh when he came in i didn't really think much of it. I thought you know kind of has a a pistol for, or not not even a you know basically a water pistol for an arm uh you know he was throwing fifteen yard passes and and things of that nature he, i thought he had good legs but um, you know, not not to get too far into that, Marty Morningwig back with the Eagles kind of makes a similar move uh, as far as I think he had great influence on the pick of Jalen Hurts. And now basically the, re- the report is that Jalen Hurts is going to be coming into games, uh, you know, to play. You know, probably around the same amount of snaps Lamar was initially when when Flacco was in there and they were sharing sharing the workload. Uh, You know, it looks like 10 to 15 snaps per game, which absolutely is a horrific idea in my opinion. Um, I think this is going to disrupt the offense tremendously. Unless Jalen Hurts comes out there and is, uh, you know, Jesus himself, I don't think this is really going to work out well. And I think this amount of pressure on a 27-year-old Carson Wentz coming off A year where he he led the practice squad, basically, uh, to the the playoffs is detrimental as hell. And I just don't see how this can turn out well unless, like I say, Jalen Hurts is is the second coming. But uh, I don't know if that's really going to be the case, especially in a rookie campaign. So, uh, you know, once again, Carson Wentz just absolutely getting the short end of the stick. Uh, I feel for the guy but at the same time he's making you know, 30 some odd million and he's the quarterback of my favorite team. So kind of wish I was in his position, but I hope he goes out there and kicks ass and, and maybe Jalen hurts finds his way onto the bench more often than 10 snaps a game. That's kind of my, my hope for this season. I, not to say I, I don't want Jalen hurts to do, to do well. That's not accurate, but I think it's Wentz's team, at least for the next couple of years. And then, you know, maybe we go to Jalen hurts if we don't have uh you know, a Super Bowl appearance or or something like that. But I just don't see why they're trying to force this so hard. And and I think Doug Peterson is in over his head on this one, as well as Howie Roseman. Uh, I think Howie Roseman is definitely on the hot seat if this does not pan out for either quarterback. I think if Wentz kind of stays healthy all year, and then Jalen Hurts is healthy all year and, and plays 10 snaps a game, and they're they're nine and seven and you see Jalen Hurts come out in the playoff game and throw, you know, maybe a pick or two, that's going to look really bad. So uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, definitely not a move. I'm, I'm a big fan of and, and the whole court two quarterback situation isn't uh, something I'm, you know, a proponent of. So uh, in my opinion, this is just going to backfire at least this coming season. And then we'll go from there, but uh, yeah, definitely interesting and definitely looks like a Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco situation, but, Let's all keep in mind Joe Flacco was mid-30s and uh, let's just say well past his prime. Uh, Derek Carr-esque how he was playing. So, yeah, so, was okay. cool so you
1: mentioned you mentioned the 10 snaps thing. Um, do you ultimately trust Doug Peterson to be able to develop both of these quarterbacks? And before, before you answer this, I'm not saying that Carson Wentz needs to be developed any further. I just think he's 26, 27. Obviously, you know, every year you're in the NFL, you're trying to, add another tool to the tool bag you're trying to get better in some respect. Do you ultimately trust Doug Peterson to A develop Jalen Hurts into a legitimate Lamar Jackson type quarterback and B also continue to develop Carson Wentz since he will be making a considerable amount of money next year. I just I wonder if he's able to sort of wear both hats and if his staff is sort of up for this task of developing both quarterbacks.
0: Uh yeah, yeah, no great question. Uh I think if, if anybody can do it, uh, you know, maybe Dougie P can, can find a way, but I just think, uh, you know, it's almost like, and, and like I said, when, when Nick, this is a conversation we talked, we had before, when Nick Foles left the team, um, you know, it definitely hurt me a little bit that that's the only quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl for us. And obviously Wentz got us into the position, but uh, Wentz has not played a full playoff game nor won a playoff game. So Uh, From that perspective you know I I see what the Eagles are kind of trying to do but I just think it was maybe two years too early Um, you know like I said I'm just going to keep going back to the point where I think we could have picked up Flacco I think we could have picked up you know maybe Andy Dalton before he got picked up by the Cowboys and and that would have been a lot more beneficial I think Wentz would have learned you know hey maybe if Andy Dalton comes in plays a couple preseason games and and, you know picks up on a couple things he does well that that could have been beneficial. I I think Jalen Hurts has the potential, but it's just, it, I, at this point, it's, it's just extremely detrimental. And knowing who the Eagles are, we, you know, year after year, it's kind of a struggle to, to get over the hump in some aspect, whether it be the division or, or the, get to the Super Bowl again. So I, I just don't see all these moving pieces working the way they think it's going to work. And, and like I said, I mean, Howie Roseman, I just absolutely disgusted by the fact that he said, you know, he was surprised that um, you know the fans were shocked at at the draft pick because I was extremely shocked and I think a lot of people felt the same way and, and still feel the same way.
1: Yeah so so just taking a quick snapshot here at Carson Wentz's contract 2020 he's supposed to make or his cap hit is 18.6 million and then it shoots up to 34.6 million in 2021 and then 31 million in 2022. I, I just think if you know they spent a, a pretty we talked about this in episode one if they spend a, a premium pick on a quarterback my mind is now conditioned with just the way the league is going is it's conditioned to think that that QB now has one foot out the door but in this situation i just don't think that contract is tradable and it they certainly can't cut them because they'll be on the hook for you know that that money and then even more um on the, off the dead cap obviously but yeah, I just don't foresee it being a Saints situation where, where Taysom Hill and Drew Brees coexist. I don't foresee Jalen Hurts playing special teams like Kaysen Hill does. I don't foresee him playing running back like Taysom Hill does. Maybe he's athletic to play a little bit out of the slot or you know, maybe play wide receiver a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, he doesn't want to do that. And, and the Eagles probably have him slotted in at quarterback, but for him to come in and play 10 plays, I just think that's a recipe for disaster. And the Jets try to do the same thing um, when they traded for Tim Tebow back in 2012 when him and Mark Sanchez were on the same team. And they'd bring in Tebow for like one or two plays, bring him in for the Wildcat. He'd get like negative two yards and leave Sanchez with like a third and 11 and expect him to do something with that. Um, Ultimately, it's like taking a starting pitcher out of a baseball game. They sort of lose their flow uh, of the game. They lose their process. Um, I I just, for me, I, I think it's, a tough sell and these comments make it even, you know, harder to believe that Wentz is their future, even though he is, you know, due to make like considerable amounts of money. And, you know, maybe a team like the bears or, or, or the Jaguars, or maybe a team that needs a quarterback trades for his contract. Um, you know, but with the durability issues, again, I w- I would question that move as well. And I'd be a little bit hesitant if I were one of those teams who, who does need a quarterback and maybe they look to invest in the draft, invest in a younger guy who, is not going to, you know, be you know count as much toward the cap in his first four to five years. Uh, everyone covets that good rookie quarterback on that rookie contract. You obviously, obviously saw with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes um, winning the Super Bowl this past year. But for me, that's that's where I stand on that, and I'm sure it's you know, a tough pill for you and, and Eagles Nation to swallow as well.
0: Yeah, completely, completely uh, agree. So it just doesn't doesn't really get any easier. I thought, you know, maybe they come out and say hey Wentz is going to play you know all you know as many games as he can you know barring he stays healthy and you know Jalen Hurts will, will ride the bench and learn from Wentz and you know learn from I wouldn't say such a, a veteran at this point just because of the amount of games Wentz has unfortunately missed but yeah. still a guy that, that's coming to the NFL and at least learned how to win uh, to an extent and, and they kind of did the exact opposite and you know pissed me off even more so to the fact where they're going to say, you know, Hertz is going to play, uh, you know, almost immediately, which uh, in some capacity, you know, makes sense because they, they did pick him cho- with a second round pick. I think if this pick would have been in the fourth round or, or what have you, uh, fourth round or later, I think this would be a far less of an issue. Right. Uh, but now now you, get, you choose this guy with your second round pick, you're almost like setting him up to, to be the guy. And, and I don't know. I just, You know, if it all pans out, you know, if if Wentz kind of moves on after the Eagles and this contract, you know, uh, expires and and then it's Jalen Hurts and and he leads us to, let's just say, the the NFC championship game in year two or three, then maybe this move will look brilliant. But it's pretty much everything has to go right and nothing can go wrong. And and when that situation is set up, it hardly ever goes that way. It hardly goes, uh, you know, hardly anything goes right. So uh, not to be, you know, negative or anything like that but uh, I just would have gave, given Wentz two more years at least to, to at least give him a chance to, to progress more and I, I think he can get better in some aspects but uh, you know a younger guy with a, a lot of talent just staying on the field's been his problem you know I, I just I don't know it, it disappoints me in the fact that they gave up so much to get Wentz and now just when you think all right this, he's coming into a zone where if he can just stay healthy, you know, we can make a deep playoff run. We kind of throw throw a nasty curveball into the mix. And I just think they brought a lot of drama that was unneeded. And And now it's it's almost scary to see, you know, what what's going to progress during the season. And I don't know if, if Wentz comes out and they're, they're two and five through the first seven, do, do the fans start chanting Jalen Hurts? Or we want Hurts, or, or start booing Wentz out of the game. I, you know, that'll be interesting to see, because, uh, you know, he's gonna be the backup, and most all the fans love the backup quarterback, which I'll I'll never really understand why. But, you know, kind of like a Nick Foles situation, in the fact that he he did rescue us when when Wentz went down. So, interesting to say the least.
1: Who has a better career, Jalen Hurts or Tua Tagovailoa?
0: I definitely think uh on on that front and and this is by no means being biased, I think Jalen Hurts at least uh holds up better. Maybe Tua Tua might have more raw talent. Um I don't think that's really debatable, but uh I think Jalen Hurts uh in the long run will have a better career. Uh, if Jalen Hurts can be three quarters of what Russell Wilson is, I think that would be absolutely amazing. But uh that's kinda like where his ceiling is. I I hope he doesn't turn into another Marcus Mariota where it's like, what the hell happened to him? But uh, I don't see Tua really holding up long-term as far as the durability issue. Um, Wentz Wentz had some injuries in uh, college, nothing nothing too major. And and you can see what the NFL has kind of done to him so far. So I just don't see Tua holding up long-term. Maybe he gives you a couple of good years, but, uh, you know, playing on the Dolphins, I don't really expect much anyway, because they're they're one of those franchises that can't seem to get it right, regardless of what they do. So
1: yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to say the least. And you know, I wish I could tell you that we're gonna have training camp and we're gonna have preseason and we're gonna have rookie mini camp to evaluate the situation moving forward. You know, I think with with the short um, NFL offseason and, and sort of how it's gonna play out, we might not be able to get to see as much Jalen Hurts as the Eagles originally anticipated, or as much as the Eagles would like in 2020 in the 21 season, but um, it's definitely an interesting storyline to monitor as we move forward and as we progress. But um, I think that's that's great stuff from Aaron there on, on a team that's near and dear to his heart. And, you know, we'll, we'll definitely keep you updated, and if we hear anything, you guys will be the first one to know, as always. But uh, I think that wraps us up for, for tonight, Aaron, and, and why don't you take us home?
0: Yeah, once, once again, we don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, once again, going into Memorial Day weekend, just uh, everybody – show at least some type of appreciation especially if you see somebody uh, in public you know maybe wearing a, a military uniform or, or even one of the, the older gentlemen wearing a, a ball cap with a you know veterans uh, you know, association that type of deal on their on their cap there so just try and give a, a quick thank you you know thanks for your service that type of thing even though we got everything going on as far as quarantine and, and wearing the masks and, and everything else that's going on it's crazy in this world. Definitely uh, be appreciative of of everything going on and and everybody around you making sacrifices to uh, let you live the life that, that you want to live ultimately in this country.
1: Take us home.